Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? It's good to be back here. It's good to see a lot of familiar faces, people who changed my diapers, <laughs> people who put up with my crazy, people I went to school with. They're like, why is he standing up there right now? Um, I'm a testimony that Jesus can do good things through bad people. So, um, Thanks for having us back. It's good to be back with you guys. And thanks for supporting us for all these years, loving us, sharing the gospel with us, praying for us, giving to us. It's so important to have you guys on our team, to know we're not alone in Japan in this work that God's doing, but uh, to be in it with you. We're so thankful for that. So, uh, but this is not about me. This is about Jesus. And we've got good news to share. So let's spend a little time looking at his word together. This morning we're going to look at Matthew 13, verses 3 through 9 and 18 through 23. The parable of the sower, which is probably a familiar parable for a lot of you guys. Um, But I hope today the Holy Spirit will come and he'll visit us and he'll help it to land on fresh ears. So let's read it and then we'll pray and we'll talk about it together. Matthew 13, 3 through 9 and 18 through 23. When he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. It's the word of the Lord. Pray. Father, would you come and would you help us? Would you open our ears? Would you really give us ears to hear and eyes to see? Would you turn us into good soil? And would you use your word today to produce an abundant harvest in our lives? We ask it in Jesus' name. Anybody here ever seen the movie Tenant? All right, we got one, maybe. I'm not much of a movie buff, but I, I happened to go see the movie Tenant. It came out in 2020 by the director, the director Christopher Nolan, who did the Dark Knight movie and the movie Inception. Maybe you've heard of those. Um, I really liked his first film, so I figured I'd go see this one. And, and uh, I wasn't exactly sure what I was getting into. But I knew it was something about time travel, and that's about all I knew. And when I walked out of the movie, I was even 
unsure than when I went in. Felt like, what was it that I just watched? And apparently I wasn't alone because this movie has been the most Googled movie over the last 20 years. And it's not because a lot of people have seen it, as you saw. It's because nobody knows what this movie's about. When I got home, I asked my wife, uh, or my wife asked me, how was it? And I said, it was great. She said, what was it about? I said, I have no idea. I was going to try to explain the plot to you guys today, but I couldn't even figure it out well enough to be able to explain what this movie is about. I wonder if Christopher Nolan would feel like that was a success or a failure. No one understood the movie, but at least they're talking about it, right? I only bring that up today because in this passage, the disciples are feeling pretty similarly. They're wrestling with the fact that Jesus' ministry is not going anything like they expected it to. In the previous chapters, if you look back, you'll see that the religious leaders have rejected Jesus' message. And you'll see that the crowds have walked away confused. You'll also see that Jesus' own family tried to get him to quit preaching. Nobody understands what Jesus is doing. They don't understand why he came. And it's making, them hard, and making it hard for them to follow him. The disciples came home after a long day, and their wives asked them, what have you been doing with Jesus all day? They would probably reply like I did. I have no idea. And this matters for us here today because of all the times that we've sat in these pews, I wonder if we really understand what Jesus' kingdom is all about. Sometimes we get Jesus' kingdom confused with political agendas, or we get turned around in theological battles with other Christians. Or we get distracted by our own sinful desires until, like the disciples, we have no idea what Jesus is doing anymore and we're completely ineffective in coming alongside him in his mission. So today, I just want us to look at this passage and see what Jesus' mission is all about so that we can go and be part of it with him. And I want to do it just by asking four questions. Number one, what is the goal of the kingdom? Number two, how does the kingdom come? Number three, how does the kingdom grow? And number four, how should we respond? So number one, what is the goal of the kingdom? Simply put, according to this passage, at least, the goal of the kingdom of God is human flourishing. And I think it's important to see that because if you're like me and people ask you, what's Jesus doing in this world? We might say something like, oh, we're supposed to just believe a set of doctrine. Like, that's what Christianity is. Or we'll go to heaven when we die. That's what Christianity is. And it is those things. But I want us to see from this passage that Christianity is so much more. Christianity is about our flourishing. See that here in verse 8. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred 60 or 30 times what was sown. And in verse 23, it explains, the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Jesus is all about bearing abundant fruit in our lives. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven to live a good life. Jesus wants us to experience a taste of heaven now. 
And that's good news for us because as human beings, we're all searching for flourishing. Right? Don't we all want to be happy? Don't we all just want to be back in Eden? Back in the garden again where everything's okay? Before sin entered in? And we'll try whatever means it takes to attain it, won't we? Just look at Instagram. Everyone posts all the time these airbrushed pictures of themselves doing fun or interesting things, right? They post pictures of their new cars, their new houses, the office they just got because of their promotion. They want people to see that they're really living. And we get jealous because we really want to live. But we know it's behind that, right? There's an emptiness, there's an ache to be back in Eden. We're all in search of flourishing. But the confusing thing is that flourishing in Jesus' kingdom doesn't work the way that we expect it to. Somehow we've come to believe that satisfaction flows from the outside in, right? So like if we can hoard enough stuff, if we can manipulate our outward circumstances, if we can get enough things or status or experiences out there, then the hole that's in here will be okay. But the Bible says that human flourishing doesn't come from the outside in. Human flourishing comes from the inside out. Jesus isn't looking to always change your circumstances and give you what you want. Jesus is interested in changing you so that you can be okay no matter what your circumstances. So that even in the worst of situations, you'll be so fortified in your inner man that your heart flows with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Jesus is all about our flourishing. And yet the human heart is consistently resistant to the flourishing that God wants to provide us. We see here in this passage at least three ways that people are seeking for flourishing outside of Jesus and not finding it. It's represented by the three different types of soil, and maybe you can see your own heart in here. Look at verse 4. We see the first soil there. It's the hard-packed soil that represents a hard heart toward God. These people deeply desire flourishing, but they made up their minds that Christianity simply doesn't offer it. The hard soil, at least in my context, looks like my next-door neighbor and countless other people who I have talked about Christianity to, but they think that Christianity is a Western religion. And so they've already made up their minds before we even have a conversation that this is not for them. They dismiss all of our attempts to share the gospel simply because we're not Japanese and Christianity is not Japanese. They've made up their mind already that Christianity is not for them. Or, like the son of one of my elders who's recently become a teenager. And he's decided that he's going to reject not only his parents, but all the things that they believe. And so instead of listening to the sermon, he does homework or plays video games in church, makes faces at his dad when he's preaching. Here in America, it might look like the determined atheist or the agnostic. The person who claims that religion does more harm than good. You've heard that, right? Or maybe it's the child who's raised in the church but was so wounded by the church that now they think there's no way that they'll ever go back because there's no life there. The first group have hardened hearts to the gospel and the flourishing that it offers. They may hear it, 
but they don't even take time to, to consider it. They've already made up their minds. And no matter how hard they search, unfortunately, they're never able to experience the flourishing that they long for. Second soil, verse 5. It's the rocky soil, or the shallow soil. Jesus explains in verses 20 to 21 that it's the person who at first receives the word of God with joy because of the flourishing that it seems to offer. And yet when trouble or persecution comes, they decide it's not worth it. Instead, they seek to find flourishing in the absence of trouble. It's like my Japanese teacher who heard the gospel from all these missionaries that she's teaching Japanese to. And she believed it. She got really excited about it. It seems like there's life here. And yet when she found out that the next step is to make a public profession of faith and to receive baptism, oh no, I can't do that. I can't have my husband finding out that I'm buying into this stuff. I can't let my parents know that I'm going to be a Christian and I'm no longer going to participate in the Buddhist and Shinto rituals that their family participates in on all the holidays. It's too much. It seemed like there was flourishing there. And yet, I'm not willing to forego what feels like flourishing in the keeping of the relationships. Here in America, maybe it's the person who goes to church and hears the gospel on Sunday, but scared to death to say anything about it at work or at school. Because people don't actually believe that stuff, right? And yet, when we seek for flourishing outside of Jesus, we don't find it. The third soil is the weeds. It's the person in verse 22 who wants Jesus for all the benefits that he can provide, but they reserve certain areas of their life because they don't trust him to be able to bring flourishing to those things. And they fill their lives with other things that promise to provide that flourishing that they so desperately long for. And all the excess, all the weeds grow up and they end up choking out the thing that actually provides the flourishing that they so desire. They're the person who says, I want Jesus, but I also really need. It's like my friend Shuto. He's a college student who is regularly coming to our college ministry. And we were nervous about him at first because he was a Buddhist evangelist. I never met any other Japanese person like this. Most are just kind of culturally Buddhist, but he really believed this stuff. And he would come to our Bible study to try to convince all these people interested in Christianity that Buddhism was actually the way to go. So we weren't sure what to do about him. But we decided we'll just wait and we'll pray and we'll see what God does. And over time, he quit talking about Buddhism. Shuto was really interested in what we had to say about Jesus and the flourishing that he offered. Shuto actually came to the point where he made a profession of faith. And he was preparing for baptism. And then one day, he met a girl. And she wasn't a Christian. And we haven't seen Shuto in two years. It felt like there was life here in Christianity. But there was this one thing that he really wanted, and it felt like if he held on to Jesus, then he couldn't have the other thing too. Maybe it's not relationships for you. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's toys. Maybe it's your desire to express your sexuality freely or your gender identity. And it feels like real flourishing. And the longing for those things feel like they lead to life. But they're leading you away from Jesus. 
And of course they are. Jesus told us. You can't serve two masters. You'll love the one, and you'll hate the other. I don't know about you, but I just wonder, do you believe that Jesus is really interested in your flourishing? Or do you think that Christianity is about rules or about believing the right set of doctrine? Do you realize that Jesus wants to bear fruit in you that's so attractive to other people that they can't stay away? Because when we reduce Christianity down to going to heaven when we die or following the rules or intellectually assenting to theological truths, there's nothing compelling about it anymore. And we're quick to run to other things that feel more like flourishing. But do you know that Jesus really wants to satisfy all of your longings? Do you know that no matter what need you have, Jesus wants to fulfill it? Do you know that he wants to so fortify you with his love and strength internally that you will be bolstered against any external circumstance that you face? Do you know that he wants to offer you real flourishing? If you're like me, you really struggle to believe that. And we're quick to run to other things for flourishing. So I want us to see from this passage how it is that Jesus responds to people like us. How is it that the kingdom comes into our lives? How does God bring his flourishing? When you hear the word kingdom, what comes to mind? And when you think about a king bringing his kingdom, how do you imagine that it would come? If we were the disciples, we might expect Jesus to bring his kingdom in the way most kings do. With a club, beating people into submission, shaming them into surrender, and killing off all the dissenters. If you remember, many Jews at that time expected Jesus, the Messiah, to ride into Jerusalem and to overthrow the Roman government. And that's why when the Roman centurions came to capture Jesus, Peter pulled out a sword and he started slicing. He thought that Jesus was going to be a warrior. But what does Jesus say here about his kingdom coming? He says in verse 3 that the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who goes out to sow a seed. Could anything be more opposite? What could be less threatening? What could be more gentle than a farmer growing seed? It doesn't match our image of how a king brings their kingdom. Now you may be thinking, doesn't the Bible use military language sometimes? Aren't we in a battle for souls here? And you're right. The Bible does use military language to talk about the kingdom of God. When it talks about Satan or sin, it often uses that kind of language. But what's interesting is that when Jesus talks about people and how his kingdom comes to people, he doesn't use those kinds of terms. Paul even says our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Whenever the Bible talks about battle, it talks about Satan and spiritual forces and about putting our own sin to death. But whenever it talks about people, it talks about them as fields, longing for flourishing. And that's important because sometimes we get confused. We gather here and we sing our songs like Onward Christian Soldier Marching on to War. We name our ministries, Campus Crusade for Christ. We engage in the culture wars and the worship wars. And when we do that, 
we end up seeing non-Christians and one another as enemies. We see them as people whose morality we need to control with legislation. We see them as people that we have to protect our kids from. Within the church, we fight theological battles on Twitter. Or we drag people into courts and bring them up on charges. We try to shame people into obedience. We try to control them with the Word of God and guilt them into serving or evangelizing. We try to bring the flourishing of the kingdom of God by force. And guys, that's just not how Jesus brings his kingdom. He's so gentle and unassuming, like a farmer planting seeds. And of course he is. I mean, think about it. When Jesus, the word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us, he didn't take lives. What did he do? He laid his own life down for us. And he didn't beat people into submission. What did he do? He was beaten for us. A bruised reed he did not break, and a smoldering wick he did not snuff out. And he's gentle with us still today. The way that he brings his kingdom to us is by the power of the Holy Spirit as he gently and patiently sows his word into our hearts. He melts us as we sing songs with biblical truth. He calls out to us through the preaching of his word. He meets us in the quiet in the morning and gently speaks truth to us. And so I just wonder, do you believe that Jesus is gentle? Have you felt how gentle he is? Because no matter how many times you've run away, he always comes after you. And he patiently woos us back to himself through his word. So I wonder, are you so amazed with the gentleness of Jesus that you are gentle with other people? Or are you tempted to attack those out there and defend those in here. It's the kindness of God that brings us to repentance and brings about the flourishing that we truly desire. We're in a war, but it's not against flesh and blood. The kingdom comes by sowing the word of God gently into the lives of other people for their flourishing. All right, so that's how the kingdom comes. But thirdly, let's look at how the kingdom grows. And if you thought the coming of the kingdom was strange you'll really be shocked by how the kingdom grows. Because it's really unpredictable. In verse 3, it appears that the sower just goes out and indiscriminately sows seed everywhere. He takes his bag of seed and he just throws it all over the place. And some of it falls on the path. Some of it falls on the rocky soil. Some of it falls among the weeds. And about 25% actually produces a harvest. I don't know how you feel, but that feels really frustrating to me. It's like, I want more results. I want an effective strategy for kingdom growth. I want a silver bullet. I think that sower needs to go back to sewing school. And I don't understand why he does things the way that he does. But I think that's the point. Because the way that God grows his kingdom is so strange to us. I don't know why God doesn't just take everyone and make them into good soil that produces a harvest of fruit immediately. But he doesn't. 
But he wants us to know that ahead of time so that we won't be discouraged. Because after Jesus went into heaven, you know who he left to do the sowing? You're looking at him, us. And I think that if we didn't know what to expect, when people reject the message that we share with them, we'd get really discouraged really quick. And we'd be tempted to give up. The lady next door that I love so much, I've shared the gospel with her and both of her daughters more times than I can count. And none of them have become Christians yet. And it's not just the family next door. It's our friend Arika, or Chiharu, or Kenji, or Sonotsuke. It's numerous non-Christian kids in my youth group. And it could be really tempting for me to think that either the Word of God isn't really that powerful, or I'm really bad at sowing it. I think this passage is here to bring me and you guys who are in the same boat a strange comfort. It's not my fault, and it's not the Word's fault. It's their heart's fault. When people reject God and go after other forms of supposed flourishing, God often gives them up to what they want. He lets them have those other things that they want rather than himself. And when they go that way, it's not because you're a horrible evangelist and it's not because the gospel isn't true. It's because of the condition of their heart. So this passage brings strange comfort to those of us who sow without the kind of results that we desire. Comfort to frustrated and confused disciples. But it's also supposed to do something else for us. It's also supposed to cause us to pray. Because bad soil doesn't have to stay bad forever. At some point in our lives, all of us were bad soil, right? And then one day... Maybe you'd heard the message a thousand times, but the Holy Spirit woke you up, and it made sense. You got it, and you loved it, and you believed it. He opened your eyes, and he helped you to see the beauty of the gospel. He turned the bad soil into good. And if God's in the business of changing people like us from bad soil to good soil, then what keeps him from changing the hearts of fill in the blank? Who's the person? Who do you love? Who are you worried about? If Jesus can do it for you, then he can do it for them. Because he uses not just the sowing of his word, but the praying of his people to grow his kingdom. He asks us to be like the annoying neighbor who persistently knocks on the door in the middle of the night to ask for bread, Right? Because he's not like the begrudging neighbor who doesn't give it. He's like a gracious father who's waiting to answer our prayer. So are you praying? That's the goal of the kingdom. Your and my flourishing. It's how the kingdom comes. Not through military conquest, but through gentle sowing. And that's how the kingdom grows. It produces mixed results. So the last question is, how are we going to respond? First, I think Jesus wants to ask you, where are you running for flourishing? What areas of your life are you holding back that you think Jesus can't help you with? There's no flourishing outside of Jesus. It's all paths and rocks 
and weeds. And I want to call you today to turn to Jesus instead, to repent, to say I was wrong. I've been running this way, and it's not helping me. But Jesus, if you'd have me back, I'd love to walk with you and see what you can do. I want you to tell him what you long for. I want you to tell him what you need. Don't hold it back because it feels weird or you need to have the right words. Just tell him. He already knows. And see if he won't give you what you need. Second, I wonder what your relationship with God's word is like. Because a garden doesn't grow without seed. We can't grow without God's word. It's the thing that produces the flourishing that we so long for, and yet we stay away from the Bible. It's so boring, right? God's word, he's like a surgeon when he uses that thing. He knows the places in your heart where you're running away and looking for flourishing in other things, and he uses his word to say, no, let's cut that out and let's replace it with a garden that can grow. He uses his word to call us back to himself. There are always areas in our hearts that are not yet flourishing because we're not trusting him with that yet. It might be our kids. It might be our job. It might be our marriage or our desire for a spouse or a human connection. Would you allow Jesus to meet you in those places through his word and just see he can't satisfy you? And bring you flourishing there? If you're like me and it's hard to read your Bible, then uh, I'd suggest trying to mix it up a little bit. Like, the really cool thing about social media is that there's lots of different ways to take in God's Word throughout the day. Maybe you need to listen to podcasts. I do that a lot. Maybe you need to meet up with a friend and read the Bible together because you have a really hard time getting anything out of it on your own. Maybe you need to listen to sermons. I don't know what it is. But if you're looking for flourishing, then don't stay away from God's word. As he sows into your life, he's going to bear fruit. You'll get the things that you're desiring, what you're looking for. Not everything you want, but exactly what you need. Not everything on the outside being okay, but everything on the inside, no matter what's on the outside, being okay. He uses his word to bring about our flourishing. Number three, I think Jesus is calling us to gently and lovingly sow. He's calling us to repent of our militaristic mindset toward non-Christians and the Christians that we don't agree with, and instead to engage in gentle seed sowing. To give up on our fear and anxiety about our kids growing up in this culture that causes us to separate into us versus them. There are people all around us that are hungry for flourishing and they have no idea where to find it. And you have the words of life. For many people, their only experience of the church is somebody with a bat or a a hacksaw going after them. Are you willing to be like Jesus? Be a gentle sower so that these folks can experience the life that they're longing for. Some of us feel nervous about sharing our faith. I was at a Bible study a couple weeks ago, and there's an older fellow there, and he said, you know, I just don't have that gift. I said, really? He said, yeah, I just, 
I don't know how to talk about Jesus. He said, what I decided is I'm going to take comfort in those words of Paul, that if somebody comes to you, that God will give you the words that you need to say in that moment. So if somebody came to me and they put a gun to my head, I trust that in that moment God would give me something to say. But otherwise, I'm not interested in evangelism. Maybe some of us feel that same way. Maybe other of us feel like we have to get through a certain presentation. Like you're not really sharing the gospel unless you hit this point, this point, this point, and this point. Or unless you say it in the right way or unless the person prays and receives Christ afterwards. And I just want to encourage you that evangelism is not that hard, guys. Evangelism starts with a heart that believes that what we have to say actually is going to bring about flourishing for that person. Evangelism starts with a heart that believes that that person is hungry for flourishing. And then as we get to know them and as we spend time with them, we look for the ways that they're looking for flourishing outside of Jesus. And we try to show them how Jesus can provide the flourishing that they're longing for. People do it in different ways because we have different personalities. My father-in-law goes to the gym and he spends most of his time in the sauna because he wants to talk to people and he wants to share the gospel with them. I'm not that guy. Like, I don't, I'm an introvert. Like, I can find, like, one person and spend time with that person and share the gospel with them. But the point is, like, be okay with who you are and with who God made you to be. I promise all of you guys know one person who's not a Christian. What if you started praying for that person and you just took one little moment out of your week to try to pursue that person? Because that person is longing for flourishing and you know where to find it. And you trust that as you pray, God might turn their heart into good soil. And so it doesn't really matter how bad you mess up the thing that you have to say because that soil is so fertile and ready that it's just going to burst alive. As you grow in your own ability to repent of your idols and your adventures outside of Jesus, and you learn how bankrupt those options are outside of Jesus, and how Jesus can meet your needs, you grow in your ability to help other people see that too. Jesus is calling us to sow. And lastly, Jesus is calling us to pray. He's calling you to pray for the people you know and love whose hearts seem hard. Maybe you want to make a list right now. Somebody came to mind. They're in the sermon. He's asking you to cry out for mercy that he would change that bad soil into good. He's calling you to pray for us, your missionaries, and for Debbie. Some days it feels like we are plowing in concrete. Japan's been called the missionary graveyard. For whatever reason, in the wisdom of God, Japan is still the second largest unreached people group in the world. And that means that most of the hearts in Japan right now are still hard soil. So please read our newsletter. Please pray that God would change our friends' hearts from bad soil to good soil. Because just like me and just like you, they're searching for flourishing and they don't know where to find it. If you know anybody here that might want to come to Japan, why don't you send them? Because we need help sowing. We're also going to be praying for you guys. Because we're not the only missionaries, right? God's put us all in the lives of people who need to know the good news of Jesus. We're going to be praying that God would use you right where you are. 
to bring about flourishing in the lives of other people as you share the good news, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Let me pray for us now. God, you know my heart. You can see how quickly I run away. How little I trust you to bring about what I'm looking for. God, you know all of our hearts. You know exactly what's going on. So I pray that you come and meet us. And in the places where we're trying to run from you to other things, the places that we're hiding that we won't let you into, will you come and be gentle with us? Will you meet us with your word and would you convince us that you actually can meet the longing that we have? Thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for giving your life so that we could live. Would you work in us? Would you work in the lives of our friends? Would you use us for your glory? Would you make Greenwood a green place? Would it be like the Garden of Eden? Not because we're good evangelists, but because you hear the prayers of your people and you answer. Would you bring this place to life by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.